Welcome to Chase Oaks. We are so glad that you have decided to join us this weekend. If you are invited by a family member, a friend, or perhaps somebody you love sent you a link, I want you to know you've got a really good friend. You've got a really good family member. Because if they invited you, because if they sent you a link, that just means that they think God has a plan for your life. And they just want to see it come to fruition. So welcome to Chase Oaks. Here at Chase Oaks, we do this thing called Series. It's a collection of talks on the Bible. Think of us as Netflix. Today is episode one. And we are kicking off a series called The Power of Everybody. We're going to be looking at an Old Testament book over the course of the next couple of weeks called Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, you see God put something on his heart to do. And it's amazing what happens, I believe, when we all do it together. We're going to be looking at some lessons that we can learn from the life and book of Nehemiah. And I just believe that in this series, God's going to put some things on our heart to do. And I just believe something powerful can happen in our community when we all do it together. Uh, Just a little uh, history and a little bit of a backdrop on the book of Nehemiah. Uh, With uh, Israelites, they had the Babylonian exile where uh, they were taken away from their homeland. And then uh, Cyrus the Great actually took over Babylon. And he actually told all of the people that uh, were caught in the Babylonian captivity, he said, hey, uh, we're going to give you religious freedom to go Back home. Now, Nehemiah was in a position where he was serving a king, Artaxerxes. Okay, you could try spelling it if you would like. I wouldn't if I were you. I would just let the Bible experts do that. I'm not one of those people. Uh, I just read it a lot. And what happens with Nehemiah is he is the chief cupbearer. Now, chief cupbearer in this day and age wasn't just somebody that would just test the wine. They were also in charge of the money. They would be considered the CFO, the chief financial officer. Think of it this way. If you can trust somebody with your life, you can trust somebody with your money. So he is in a political position with the king. And then Nehemiah chapter 1 says this. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of... Of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Shislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Verse 3 And they said to me, The remnant there. In the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now I want you to see what happens in, with Nehemiah. He says this, he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is greatly disturbed. It bothered him. He's got this conviction. He has what I would like to call a holy discontent. He sees something that bothers him in his world. 
And it brought him to his knees. It is moving him in his spirit to a place where he is now in mourning. Uh, today, I want to, to share with you some things that I believe that we can learn from Nehemiah's holy discontent. If you are taking notes, the first thing that I want us to consider is that Nehemiah's holy discontent led to prayer. His holy discontent led to prayer. Now, I, I don't know about you, but there are lots of things that I can see that's wrong in the world. Things that I think should be better. Things that I think should be different. And what it often leads me to is, well, not prayer. <laughs> what it often leads me to is maybe a post or maybe an argument. <laughs> or, or, or maybe like, like I'm just going to complain more because that changes the world, right? No, but for, for Nehemiah, it, it led to, to prayer. When was the last time you prayed about the thing that breaks your heart the most? Because for you and I, in the world that we live in, isn't it easy to see bad news and just keep scrolling? You just, oof, whoo, man, it's crazy. You see this? You might even share it with a friend. And then you know what you do next? You scroll to the next story. I mean, I, I know that's what I do. Maybe you just keep turning the channel or you move on to, to dinner. Uh, if we're taking notes from the life of Nehemiah, I could just only imagine what could happen if you and I were to begin to let God break our heart for something in this world. And perhaps a holy discontent would lead to prayer. You, you got you to see what where his holy discontent takes him next. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, which I believe is January, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah says, I, I was much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And watch this. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. You know what I think is interesting for you and I is I think there are these moments in life where we have an opportunity, a window, where perhaps somebody asks us a question. And perhaps we just want to just respond. Because he's asked the question, what is it that you want? But watch, watch what Nehemiah does. It says, then he prayed to the God of heaven. Most of the time when people ask us what we want, we tell them what we want. What you want? Ice cream. Great. Now I know. It's like we, we do this thing of telling me, what is it? That you want, but, but I'm so moved because Nehemiah is going, yeah, but I paused in this moment and I talked to the God of heaven. Because perhaps you could ask me what I want and I can give you a me answer. But if I would just pause for a moment, what if I could give you a, a God answer? I wonder how many opportunities you have at work and someone asks you a question. I just wonder what our lives would look like if we would just pause for a moment and say, Lord of heaven and earth, God of the angel armies, 
Would you speak to me now in this moment and give me your wisdom? Because sure, I could share with them what, what I want. But I don't want to give them a me answer. Because I've got a God-sized problem. So I might as well have a God-sized answer. Here's what happened next in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 5. It says, And I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter... To Asif, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent army officers in a cavalry with me. My man got a presidential escort to go build these walls. All because he paused and prayed. Perhaps God is breaking your heart to do something in this community. But you haven't paused and prayed. So because you haven't paused and prayed, perhaps you don't even know what to ask for. Perhaps God will speak to us this weekend and say, Lord, am I even asking the right questions? Do I even have the right request? Now, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, uh, the temptation is to consider what it's like to be in Nehemiah's position. But I would love to pause here and look at King Artaxerxes' position. Perhaps you're in somebody else's life and you have the resources to help them pull off what God has broken their heart for. It's the power of everybody. When we all play our part, there's something magical that can happen in this community to say, maybe I was given the authority I have, maybe I was given the resources I have to actually help somebody else pull off their God-given purpose. The second thing, if you're taking notes, that I believe Nehemiah's holy discontent led to is it led to him leveraging his influence for good. He's leveraging his influence for good. Now, when you begin to look through the Bible and you begin to look at the different uh, prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Micah, the, these are prophets. Nehemiah is not a prophet. He is not a priest. In other words, he is not in full-time ministry. He's not a pastor. He don't work at Chase Oaks. He is, he's a layman. He's a regular guy in politics. He's a CFO for a governor. Think of it in, in that way, all right? Like he's just a regular guy who's going, something's wrong here. And it absolutely breaks my heart. But you know what? Perhaps I'm in my position for a reason. Maybe I protect the king's life for a reason. Maybe I protect his money for a reason. Maybe I do my job with integrity for a reason. All because I believe God was setting him up for something greater than what was even his position. 
I just want to encourage the person that's, that's watching this weekend, that's here this weekend, that's just going, man, I'm not a preacher, dude. I'm the, like, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys. I can't sing like them. I can't preach like that. I don't know any of the words of the songs. I don't know any Bible verses. And, and I don't do the whole seminary thing. Like, good for you guys, man. I just came to watch the show. No. Tag. You're it. God's got a plan for you that is so much bigger than church attendance. And I would hate for you to miss your assignment that God has given you. You work where you work for a reason. You live where you live for a reason. You teach at that school for a reason. You work at that law firm for a reason. Your neighbors might be driving you crazy, but you live in that neighborhood for a reason. Dare I say, I know this might be tough for you to believe, you married that person for a reason. You should find out why God puts you where he puts you. And you should find out why God puts you with who he puts you with. And you should leverage whatever God has given you for a good work. I love what we see in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11. He says, I, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I hadn't told anybody what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. I think there's a lot of wisdom here because I believe that there are moments when God puts something on our heart and we just feel like we our first move is let's go to Facebook and I just got to get this thing out there and I just and I just got to share my thing. And I think there's a couple of things here that that we really can learn is because first off God put this on his heart which I think should really challenge our motives. Because sometimes there are just things that we want, and I'm not sure that it's a God thing. Sometimes it's an, an us thing. Did God put it on your heart? Or did Instagram put it on your heart? How did it get there? Or did God have something to do with you being on Instagram that day, and then that was a God thing? But I think all of us should step back and go, Lord, what is it that you have put on my heart. And the key word here is my. Because guess what? There are some things that God has put on my heart that he has not put on Jeff's heart. And there are some things that God has put on Jeff's heart that he has not put on my heart. And we live in a society now where there are more causes than ever before whether it's homelessness, hungry children, hungry adults, third world problems, water shortages, family and friends that get GoFundMes for all sorts of different things. And we can certainly be in the kind of society that is pretty cause-centric, cause-driven. And what can happen is we can get so caught up in our cause 
that we think our cause should be everybody's cause. Matter of fact, I've seen people get mad that they're not having everybody else be a part of their cause. But here's what could happen in a beautiful church. Here's what can happen in a beautiful community. Is when we both come together and say, what has God broken your heart for? And how can I help? It may not be my thing. Because God put something on my heart that maybe he didn't put on your heart. So I cannot fall for the trap of believing that my world is the world. God showed it to me for a reason. I see things for a reason. And so do you. Isn't it interesting that if it's a Saturday and in your house you have declared that it's cleaning day and everyone's going to be awesome and we're all going to come together and we're all going to clean. Um, I've found that a lot of people, they have specific things in the house that they think are clean versus that they aren't clean. I've learned that children have selective visibility. Uh, when they lose their phone, they got 20-20 vision. But when it's time to clean, they, they all of a sudden, Dad, I, I, thought the, I, I didn't even see those socks there. You ain't see those socks there. Wow, what happened to your vision? And so it, it's amazing how we can, can find ourselves in, in situations like that in life where it's like, you know what, there are certain rooms that we feel like, hey, this looks clean to me. And I think everybody should want to clean the kitchen. I'm like, but the rooms is dirty and the bathrooms smell. And this is like, so some people are like, no, the bathroom's got to be pristine, you know. And it's like, there, it can be this, this thing in us where we're kind of choosy when it comes to the things that we want to happen. But, but here's what I believe. This is what I think is, is beautiful about the power of everybody. There is enough space for my cause and your cause. And I think God gave you eyes for the kitchen for a reason. And gave you eyes for cleaning the car for a reason. And I think you notice what you notice for a reason. And I think your pain is your pain for a reason. I think it's all divine. And I don't need to compare my cause. To Jeff's cause or to your cause. But what would it look like for me to say, hey, how can I leverage the influence God has given me to make this community and this church a better place? I love what we see next in, in Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah 2 verse 13 says, By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Uh, lesson number three that I think we can learn at the beginning of this Netflix series on Nehemiah. Nehemiah's holy discontent led to doing his homework. Because it's one thing to pray about it, it's, a one, it's another thing to leverage your influence to perhaps do a, a good work. But I think this is where a lot of us get hung up. Getting action-oriented. There's something powerful about somebody that has 
faith in their heart and action in their body. It's a beautiful combination. Somebody that doesn't just believe the scriptures, somebody that hasn't just heard from God, but somebody that's saying, God, I'm going to do something about it. He's, he's examining the walls, and, and it's interesting. When he does so, what he finds is the walls are broken down and gates which have been destroyed by fire, which is discouraging. Sometimes when God breaks your heart, you find out that to, the answer to fixing it is a lot harder than you would have imagined. And most people would see that the task is too great and just say, hey, this, this, this is too much. Nehemiah could have easily said, I got a job, you know, like I'm the CFO for like this whole country. So I got stuff to do. Like, thanks. Thanks for the. The armored car, King Artaxerxes, but I, I, it's, just, it's just too much. But I just love what Nehemiah 2 verse 14 says. It says, then I moved on. What did he do? He looked at his disappointment. He looked at the burned gates. He looked at the broken down walls. And he did the thing that some of us just take so much for us to do. He moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through. He moved on and there was no room. He's got setbacks. He's got some challenges. It's not easy. But verse 15 says, he went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. I just... I just want to encourage somebody this weekend to do your homework. I mean, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how much it's going to cost. I don't know how many volunteers are needed. I, I, I don't know what all God has, has put in your heart. But I just, I just encourage you to, to do the homework. And guess what? When you do the homework, you're going to have some setbacks. You're going to have some challenges. I talk to so many people that are just, man, I just, I really, I feel like God has really put this thing on my heart to, to, to write a book. And I say, okay, but that, that's, that's amazing. And they just, but Ryan, I don't know how to write a book. I say, well, you got to figure out how to write an outline before you can write a book. Maybe start a blog. It's cheaper. You know, it's like, but some people are just going, no, man, I, I got to wait for this audience to come. Where are they going to come from? Unless you start writing. Well, man, I... I might get writer's block. I hope you do. And I hope God meets you there. Because we're all going to have some sort of setbacks. And the greatest temptation that you might have in that moment is that somebody else can do it better. Or that God should use someone else. But tag, you're it. He showed you what he showed you. For a reason. I love when people give me book ideas. Hey man, you know what the next book it is you should write? No. Sounds like a book you should write. But you've got the platform. You could build one. You know how many people would love to hear from you? Man, but what if I only sell like 10 books? That's 10 people that needed your book. And who knows what those 10 people might go on to do. I think some of us are looking at the project and going, it's not, it's not big. My friends, Nehemiah is building a wall. 
Not a temple. He's building something that might protect a temple. We can't look at the size of what God has put on our heart and then deem it worthy to move forward or not. We just got to be the kind of people that say, Lord, if you put it on my heart, I want to play my part, whether it's big or small. But you got to do the homework. Some people say, man, I just, man, I, I want to build like a house for single moms or girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking. Okay, how much the house going to cost? I don't know. Do the homework. Find out. Like, start looking up houses. You you already on Zillow anyways. You might as well be on Zillow with a purpose. And be like, you know what, Lord, what if? Then imagine if you and I were the kinds of people that were on Zillow in a completely different way. You say, man, there's this house in Plano for $487,000. I know the interest rates and I know. That, but Lord, I just, if it be your will, at least I know. Well, how much, what would need to be in the house? Okay, well, how much does that stuff cost? And, and what materials and what resources would be, would be great for these women in this house? And you just, oh, I don't know. I just, call me crazy this weekend. I just want you to dream a little bit. But not just stop at dreaming. Do some homework on that thing that God has put on your heart. I'm so proud of my wife. About a year and a half ago, the uh, Lord put it on her heart to write a children's book on uh, diversity and what that would look like to be a part of a community where people understand their differences. And it's called Jackson and the Not-So-Colorful Day. It's about a a boy, in this children's book, it starts off black and white, and he goes to the neighborhood and meets a different person. And as the story goes on, the book gets a little bit more colorful, and his world begins to get a little bit more beautiful. Now, on the onset, it's a great concept, but it's a lot of work. Now, the reason that my wife did this is because of the makeup of our family. If you've never seen a picture of my family, this is us at my son's uh, ninth birthday party. Uh, this is Jackson and Roman, nine years old, four years old. And uh, Jackson, as he is so precious and getting older, he is starting to ask a lot more questions uh, about race and about color. And the other day, my wife said something about me being black and uh, my son corrected her and said, he's not black. And I said, ooh, it's about to be a good conversation. <laughs> Been waiting for this day for a long time. All right, going to figure out how, how this is going to roll. And, and um, I said, okay, buddy, if, if I'm not black, then what am I? He said, obviously you're brown. And I went, you know, he's got a fair point. <laughs> um, Son's quite literal, and he's like, I don't play by your rules. I have two eyes, and I have 20-20 vision when looking at me, I guess. And so, but can't find socks. Right, exactly. And so, I said, all right, if I'm brown, that's fair. And then I said, uh, well, let me ask you this question. So, if I'm brown, then what color is mommy? who's Puerto Rican and Mexican combined. She's like three-fourths one and another fourth the other. I need to check her ancestry DNA to figure out exactly what it is, the breakdown, but she doesn't fit in the black or white category. So I'm like, oh, I got him stumped. And so I said, hey, you know what color is mommy? He goes, whew. 
that's a tough one, Dad. That's a tough one. He said, she's me. And I said, yeah, well, yeah, you're, you're pretty good back there. Yeah, you know. But he is, he's navigating the world. And my wife wanted to create a book for children to be able to navigate their world. Now, here's why I'm so proud of her. Um, our schedule is not easy to write books. Especially when your husband is also writing books. In travel, in basketball, in school, in hosting, in cleaning, in cooking, in daycaring, in doing all of the things. But I watched her do her homework. I watched her stay up late. I watched her uh, get very detailed about each and every culture that would be represented in the book. Because my son has quite a few Indian friends. And for her, she wanted the Indian page to, to reflect their culture. And so she would call some of our neighbors and go, hey, I'm writing a children's book. I just want to make sure this is accurate. Like, does this, does this make some sense? And then she would get to uh, the African-American page. And there was a barbecue, but there was, there was a pool. And she was like, hey, do black people swim this much? What do you think? You know, it was like, like we're just going back and forth. Like, I know some black people can swim, but what do you think about this? The I mean, and she was just doing all sorts of research. And I just thought, this is, this is doing the homework. Because it's one thing to go, man, I, I wish every kid had an opportunity to be able to open up a book and be able to see their world just a little bit different. But that's where most people stop. Most people aren't willing to do the homework and to see it come to fruition. And then sit with an artist for hours and go, no. Some of us settle. We go, okay, it's good enough. No, for her, she's like, no, it's, it's got to be perfect. And to be able to hear different people and different parents to say, hey, it's, me and our child had a wonderful time last night just talking about the world. And thank you for creating a book, something that we could go through together that can help us have a phenomenal, engaging perspective that helped our family see the world a little bit different. I, I've seen it up close. I, I've had a front row seat to it and so i just this weekend episode one of the power of everybody is just a little push for you to take your next step of faith of whatever god has put on your heart i mean let me ask you this what are you waiting for what are you waiting for I can tell you what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting to be an empty nester. 2038, I already got it marked on my calendar. I'm like, I'm going to be amazing in 2038. Oh, I'm going to be so productive. Do you know what I'm going to be able to pull off in 2038? It's like, it's going to be incredible. It's like, no, we're not going to be greater later when we could be great today. What is God put on your heart and what do you need to do today what what's the what's the delay are you waiting for ideal circumstances are you waiting for a better job a new neighborhood a better church you're like boo if you guys would get your act together i'd be more awesome that's not true like i'm just here to encourage you to say what are you waiting for and maybe tell that to god 
And let me know how that conversation goes. Because here's a better question. Who's waiting on you? Because on the other side of us obeying what God has called us to do, on the other side of us doing our homework, on the other side of us leveraging our influence for a good work, is somebody whose life could be impacted for forever. So I have to encourage you this weekend to leverage your influence for a good work. I don't know where you work. I don't know what you've done for a living. I don't know what your resources look like. I don't know what wisdom you have to share. But I just have a feeling when we all do it together, everybody gets better. To be able to say, I want to be a contributing member to this church. I want to be a contributing member to this community, to this neighborhood, to this school. To say, I'm not here on accident. I was put here for a reason. And God helps you see what you see on purpose. I love what we see in Nehemiah. Chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I love that Nehemiah waited for the right time to share what God had put on his heart. At first he goes, You know, let me not share it. Let me do my homework first. But after he does his homework, he's like, Let me tell Everybody. In verse 18 says, I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. It's amazing what can happen when we obey God. And when I obey God, the domino effect of what can happen in your life And maybe you get in a position for you to obey God in a completely different way. This is the power of everybody. Everybody gets on board. They're like, man, let's let's do this thing together. Uh, Oftentimes I I talk about being in in a small group, in a community of people. And 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 one week I was teaching on this and I just, I don't know, I threw out an example. I said, let's not overcomplicate small groups. It could be as simple as... Inviting some guys over to your house and watching a game, firing up the grill, and just talking about the Bible. And just everybody, hey, what's one verse that has changed your life this week? And just go around and talk about it. Like, don't, don't overcomplicate being in a small group. And one guy, he took me very seriously. And I said, I mean, I wasn't joking. I just didn't think he'd do it. And so he did it. And, and, and so he just did that. He just... Text a bunch of dudes. It was just like, hey, y'all want to come over on Saturday and watch the game and talk about the Bible? And, and they did. And he said there was a new guy after like four weeks, and he just said, man, I, I just got to be honest. I have never had a friendship circle like this in my life where we actually talk about real stuff that actually matters and that like God has a plan for my life and I got people surrounding me that are like helping me pull that off like this is 
This is amazing. It's like you'd be surprised what can happen when you just take a step of faith and try something new. I, I tell executives this all the time. I say, hey, man, you should start a Bible study at your job. They're like, we can't do that. In America, they, they won't let you do that. Like, what are they going to do, arrest you for, for having, a, having a Bible there? It's on your phone. Like, you, know, you can read an email of all they know. I'm like, do you know any other Christians that you're talking about? Like, I know one. Well, you only need two. So, I mean, like, there you go. Like, what would it take for you guys to go to lunch? And, to, and I just hope that you two are like the best people at their job. Because then they're going to be looking for your secret sauce. And then you could go, well, we do get lunch and talk about the Bible. I mean, I don't, I don't know why we got record sales. Call us crazy. People go, man, we just can't do that. I'm like, can't or won't? Has God put it on your heart to make a difference at your job? Then whose permission are you waiting for? So, in summary, I want you to discuss this in a small group. Over lunch, over dinner with the family. Talk about this with somebody. Three questions. Write these down if you can. Number one, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Everybody go around in a circle. Hey, what, what breaks your heart? What has God put on your heart? What, what bothers you? What, what breaks your heart? Uh, number two, what influence has God given you? Because you may not feel like you have a lot, but you, you'd be surprised the amount of influence you actually do have. And then, uh, question number three, I want you to begin to think about how you can leverage that influence for a good work. Who do I know that I don't just know for no reason? No, your network is your network for a reason, just like your net worth is your net worth for a reason. How can you leverage both for a good work? Here's Nehemiah going, I know some people. I know somebody that knows somebody. I, I got some connections. And I'm going to leverage my connections to build a wall for somebody else. I have to wonder, what can happen when you and I begin to look around the world that we live in and realize we're not there on accident? I encourage you this weekend to take that next step. Do your homework. Start Googling and praying at the same time. Hop on Zillow. <laughs> Hop on eBay. Hey, is there some stuff I could sell to help somebody else? Be the kind of person like Nehemiah that says, you know what? God hadn't just put it on my heart. I got some work to do. I'm going to pray along the way. And you know what? I'm going to leverage my influence to see a good work happen. In my community. Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing church. I pray, God, that you would break our heart this weekend. And God, I pray that we would be willing to do our research and do our homework like Nehemiah did. He examined the walls. And Lord, whatever it is you put on our heart, God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and insight. To be able to take that next step, would we not be stuck 
at just an idea? Will we not be stuck at just a broken heart? Would you help us be a little bit more action-oriented? And Lord, when we do it together, who knows what kind of impact we could have on this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.